Welcome back to the Apostles Mailbox, where we're building up the body of Christ one baby step at a time. On today's episode, we'll be telling you about what happens when a baby fills up your toilet full of junk and then flushes. I have a two-year-old, a Janner. He likes to throw stuff in the toilet and flush it. This is a problem. And uh, it became a really big problem last week when uh, when the toilet got so clogged that it couldn't be plunged. And uh, I had to pull the toilet up. And he would say, oh my, what a terrible thing. But the reality is, is that this terrible clog was, a, was an overdue fix. Um, so for three weeks, maybe more, I don't know, probably an embarrassingly long amount of time, I've been noticing that the floor next to the toilet in our bathroom seemed to be changing shape, right? At first I was like, is that sinking there? And then I thought, is it, is it rising? And, and I knew, like, if the floor underneath the linoleum is changing shape, then that's because there's water under there and and that's a problem because that water's coming from somewhere and it's going to go somewhere. And frankly, I just didn't want to deal with it. And so I sort of ignored it and hoped it would go away, which is a terrible way to fix plumbing problems, right? But thankfully, Jenner clogged up the toilet so, uh, so terribly that I was forced to pull up the toilet to make it usable. And when I pulled it up, of course, I found that there was indeed a leak and the floor was soaking up water and causing problems. And so I ripped out the linoleum and I cut a big chunk out of my floor and replaced the boards and replaced the flooring and replaced the toilet. And now we're back in business, which is wonderful. Um, and in in some ways, like, I'm like, oh, Janner, you little punk, like, why did you do that? But on the other hand, I'm very thankful that I was finally forced into action. I knew this job needed to be done, and I was putting it off. You see, what is going on under the surface, it causes these, these, these results, these, these overflows on the, uh, on the outside. And, uh, and sometimes like we, we just, we want to treat the symptoms. We want to treat what's on the surface. We don't want to deal with all the junk that's underneath, but what we really need to do, right, is deal with the junk underneath. And we're not talking about bathroom floors anymore. We're talking about your soul. So, uh, <laughs> as we do this, uh, I, I sort of came to this realization that we need to talk about this because I got an email from Crossway. Uh, last week, this email had a, a subject line. It said, when churches get doctrine right and everything else wrong. And, and as, I, as I read that subject line, I thought, how can that be? You see, if you, if you talk about a church, sort of the core, the heart, the underlying thing in a church is its doctrine. And that the everything else that sort of grows out of that doctrine. And so if we're getting everything else wrong, to me, I think that's an indicator that maybe our doctrine is wrong. And, and I don't mean like everything in that doctrinal statement of an unhealthy church is wrong. But I do mean that that sometimes, like, what is it? The definition of, of stupidity is is continuing to do the same thing again and again and again and, and hoping that you'll get different results, right? So uh, our churches are, if, if you look around America, churches are, they're, they're in serious trouble. They have all kinds of unhealthy things going on. And uh, some of some of those results, like you can look at it and you can say, oh, 
I know where that's coming from, or I know it's causing that, and other ones we can't. And sometimes we would look at everything that we believe and do, and we would say, hey, we have all this stuff right, but it's not working, and so uh, how do you fix that? Well, and the first step to fixing that is to realizing that uh, even though you're pretty sure everything is right, that there's something underneath that's wrong. And, and this, this is going to play out a few different ways. We're going to talk about the, the, the gospel need that we have. But I also want to talk about uh, experts in the law. So um, it was on Sunday I was in church. The pastor was up front. He was talking about uh, the Pharisees uh, picking on Jesus for not washing his hands the right way in Matthew 15. Uh, I think I'll link to the sermon below maybe. Um, and uh, and, he, and he pointed out, the pastor just up front said, he says, frankly, if we're honest, then uh, we got to recognize that the people that Jesus hated the most or the people that Jesus uh, had the hardest words for, that he was the most opposed to and the, and the most against, they were people like me, right? The, the expert, the, the professional uh, teacher. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure I said amen out loud at that point <laughs> because I was like, that is so true. Like the people who run our churches, me being one of them, of course, like we, we get education and training. We become experts. We think we got it all figured out. Uh, and somewhere along the line, like we miss the way. And, and then, and then we're, we're getting annoyed at Jesus because he's not doing things the way we ought to. And, uh, and, and and we we become enemies of the gospel because our pursuit of doctrine and theology is just so far veered off of truth. And now I'm veering off the topic of <laughs> today's episode, uh, which is namely that it's what's inside eventually works its way out. And so these, these Pharisees and these scribes, they were against Jesus. And I don't think that it was because they were dumb people. I think they were brilliant people. I think they were well-trained. Uh, they were just way off. And they learned some things, and then they added on top of those things, and then they kept going. And so Jesus actually says to them, he says, Woe to you, lawyers! You have taken away the key of knowledge. This is in Luke eleven fifty two. He said, You have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And then at this point, as Jesus went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. <laughs> okay, so Jesus has pointed out to the Pharisees that, that they have the key of knowledge, which is, I believe, the scriptures, right? Most everyday people didn't own a Bible, couldn't read and study it themselves. They looked to these these scribes, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, lettered men, people who could who could learn and teach. And so they were the ones who had access to the scrolls of the scriptures. And, and it was their job to understand them and embrace them and teach them to other people. And they certainly studied them, uh, but they missed the whole point. And then when they did, and when, when people would sort of challenge, if people challenged them, and in this case, when Jesus challenged them, then you'll notice their response wasn't to say like, okay, Jesus, well, explain to us how we've missed it. Uh, but instead, they start they start goading Jesus. They start talking to him about all these things. They, they start trying to, to trip him up. They're trying to find dirt on Jesus so that they can push him out because they're not interested in changing their mind or in listening or in growing. They just, they want to get Jesus out of there. 
And uh, in, in John 5, we see this. Uh, Jesus says to them, he says, look, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We skip down to the end of uh, this passage in John 5, uh, verse uh, 47, I think he says, uh, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And, and, and Jesus is saying that although you have the scriptures and you can become experts about doctrine, like you're really not getting it. You don't have a clear picture. You don't understand. And you're the ones who have the key. Like you have the scriptures, but you're so blinded in your doctrines that you continue to develop and promulgate and, and, and build layer upon layer upon layer that, uh, that you're, you're at a point that's just, it's, it's, it has almost nothing to do with the God who gave you those scriptures. And, and I've, been, I've been challenged to think about this. In Matthew 15, as, as, as that pastor continued to preach, you know, he gets to this end and he says, he says, what do you fill in the blank? You say, in order to be a real Christian, you must fill in the blank. And he said, we have this habit as Christians that we put all kinds of things in that blank. You know, we must, you know, not drink or smoke or chew or go with girls that do, right? We must never go to a dance. We must wear this kind of clothes. We must not watch this kind of movie. We must uh, believe if such and such a doctrine. We must uh, go to church, you know, 12 times a week, whatever, fill in the blank. We come up with all these rules about uh, trying to, to be a good Christian, uh, but here's here's where he's here's where the conclusion comes right this quote from Isaiah where Jesus says this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men and the pastor then looks at the church and he says if you can come to church for an hour on Sunday and then you can go back home and for the rest of the week not live any different uh, than the world uh, because of what you've come here then he said your your worship is worthless and wow is that ever a convicting statement right what did Isaiah say he said there's a people who honor me with their lips they have doctrine they teach you know Christian things they have all these doctrinal points but he says at the end of the day their heart is far from me they don't actually love me and they they teach as doctrine the commandments not of God but the commandments of men and we as human beings we we are sort of prone to make up these ideas of what it means to be pleasing to God and the reason that we do that is because we don't understand what God has said is pleasing we don't actually pursue God we treat our bibles and we treat our churches as if they're another class uh, so I, you know, when I was in high school, I I was good at math, and I, and I remember a lot of like random formulas and things, and and uh, but but for a while there, like in in science classes and in math classes, I was learning content, but I I really just I wanted to pass the test, right? I had no no concept of how any of this would ever become useful or helpful in the future, and like I just I just wanted to get an A, and I was good at getting A's, and so. I memorized content, I regurgitated on the test, did very well, got my A's, you know, life was good. Um, 
And I and I think we have this temptation to like we treat God that way. We come to church, we we listen to the to the message, we learn some content. Oh, that was interesting information, Pastor. Thank you for teaching me that. Uh, and then we go, and it has no impact on us whatsoever. Uh, it's not it's not meaningful to us. It doesn't cause us to love God or to desire Him anymore. Uh, it's just like, oh yeah, now I'm a smarter Christian. I know this information. I know the Bible better. But at the end of the day, the question really is, do you know God better? Do you worship him? You know, so here I am at church and we're, we're singing worship, right? And, and the people up on the stage, God bless them, they, they clearly are excited about the words they're speaking. They, by, by judging from their body language and their faces, they, they, they seem to actually believe that these are songs worth singing, that this is good news, it's worth, you know, being happy about. And, and I look around the church and it's like, all of the people are singing the words, but and maybe it's just a little bit of Norwegian stoicism or whatever, Scandinavian, whatever. But, oh, my goodness. I was like, if you asked me how many of these people believe the words they're singing, I would have said none. You know, maybe maybe one in a hundred people here look like the words they're saying out loud actually mean something in their soul. They're just like... They look bored and not desirous of being there. And, and I was like, is anybody worshiping God here? Or is this just empty? Um, now, this was before the sermon. Maybe maybe if the sermon had been preached about having empty, worthless worship, the people would have worshiped differently. I don't know. Um, but, you know, as, as, I, as I read this, I realize, like, there is, there is something lacking in the heart. Like, there is... There is there is belief up here in the head, at least in terms of like things we've been taught by people that we believe are true, uh, but they, they don't work their way out of our hands. They don't work their way out into our life uh, because I don't know if we really believe them. And so uh, and probably some of you are, are, are familiar with this. Uh, <laughs> well, you're familiar with the fact that uh, I was a pastor. I'm no longer a pastor. And, I, and I'm in this season of life of just asking, like, okay, God, what's next? Where do I go? What do I do? Uh, how do I pay the bills, right? Um, and as as I've been doing this, I feel like the Lord just keeps saying, okay, Andy, just one day at a time, trust me. I'm trustworthy. Uh, I will take care of you. You just obey. You just do the next thing I want you to do. And uh, and it's it's disconcerting, Right. At first, you're like, wow, this is kind of like exciting. There's something new ahead. I don't know what it is. Uh, you kind of feel like you get out of the boat in the middle of the storm, and Jesus is there walking on water, and he says, come to me, walk on water. And you're like, wow, this is really neat. And then a couple steps later, you're going, this is stupid. Like, why am I standing here on the water? And you start to sink. Uh because the the idea of like God can be trusted and God is the God who provides and and obedience to God is never the wrong choice it's always the right choice like these are concepts that it's easy to affirm on paper but to affirm them with your life and to live them out is very difficult it's very challenging and I've been sort of convicted of just how much there are things that I thought to be true in my mind that I was totally wrong about. Uh, how much I actually believed them. 
what does Paul say? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request before God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, look, you don't have to worry about anything. You just give it to God. You just pray and then his peace will come and you won't, you won't worry about it. And I'm like, what planet are you from? <laughs> uh, are you with me? Right. You, 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 you know, like God provides and God is good and, and that he hears our prayers. But then when it comes time to pray, like we don't, uh, or, or in churches, like we, we, we think, well, our church is, it, it needs something, it's lacking something, it's dying, it's losing energy or whatever. And we, and, and we immediately start to think in terms of programs and lessons and, and all the stuff we can do. Uh, and then we pray sort of as, a, as an afterthought. Uh, we we want to work first, and then we ask God to bless our work, and, and we forgot the fact that it's God who builds the house. It's the body of Christ. We don't build the church. God builds the church, and uh, he does it through us, but it's his initiative and his plan and his blessing and his spirit who is at work that builds the church. But what happens is the doctrine that, that we've been and we, we believe all these things in our head, but they don't actually live in our souls and our hearts. So I think most of us have far less faith than we really believe. And unfortunately, I think m most of us probably have far less righteousness. Uh, so, you know, looking at Luke 6, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. What is in me is going to come out of me. And I say, what is in me, Lord? I just uh, recently read um, Till We Have Faces, which is an excellent book. I think perhaps C.S. Lewis's best book. And at the end, uh, the, the protagonist, she looks back over her life and she, she starts to come to terms with the fact that all the things that she sort of self-righteously thought were good about her in, in when exposed to the true light, like she realized she didn't understand anything, that her motives were were full of all kinds of sin and selfishness, and and there's this like serious call to repentance. It's it's, an, it's incredible. It's a phenomenal book. Um, it's really hard. it's really hard for me to read because when I do, it's like like Lewis just holds up this mirror and says, "Andy, you also are that way. You also are." terribly proud and self-loving and and faithless and and uh, there's so many things about you that you 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 sort of warp your own reality you tell yourself it's one way when it when it really isn't you know if i if i think of that scripture out of the abundance of the heart my mouth speaks i realize like what comes out of my mouth what comes out of my mouth is words of of scorn uh and condemnation which reveals that what's in my heart is is pride and judgment you know what what comes out of my what comes out of my mouth is like self-pity or anxiety and what that reveals is that what's in in my heart that's causing these words is is um, it's presumption and it's doubt it's faithlessness and and if I if I just listen to the words to the things that I say and the things that I talk about and I say those are a mirror, Andy, of what's in your heart, I realize that uh, the heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. 
And here's, you know, here's the good news we talked about a number of episodes ago, right? Is that um, in Ezekiel 36, uh, in verse 26, God promises to Israel that the day is going to come when he's going to rip out the, their heart of stone and he's going to put a new flesh in it and he's going to put his spirit in it and he's going to cause us to walk in his ways from the inside out. Right. So a, a good example of this is um, last night a, a friend of mine, Barn, was uh, was was telling me. He said two years ago he put fifteen thousand miles on his on his motorcycle on his bike, and he said this year he's put seven thousand miles on his bike. And and then, and then he's he didn't say like I'm you know I'm a better person or I was a bad person or whatever. He just said my priorities have changed. Clearly what he wants to do with his time has changed. And so he didn't force himself, I, I don't think anyway, certainly didn't say that he forced himself to ride less. It just, it just didn't seem quite as important or as desirable to him as it used to. And this is how God wants to make us righteous, right? He wants to clean up the fountain. And the fountain is not a set of ideas it's not a set of, of concepts, of, of facts that you can learn in a classroom and then, and then write out on a test and sort of pass a test. Like what God wants to do is he wants to, to put his life in us. He puts his Holy Spirit in us and he causes us to love what is good and to delight in what is good and, and to do the right things because we want to do the right things and we love to do the right things and we, and we value the right things. Uh, and so out of that spring out of that wellspring of our life then flows life. God wants us to love him and to draw near to him and to delight in him and to worship him so that what comes out of our mouths is, is hope and joy and peace and worship, right? Patience, uh, gentleness. Uh, what God wants to do is he wants to make us like him. He wants us to be with him and he wants to do this work in us. And so, you know, I think about that. I think about that floor in my bathroom, you know, next to the toilet. And for the longest time, I looked at it and I said, I know there's something wrong there. And I just, I'm afraid to pull up the toilet. I'm, I'm afraid to discover what it is because I don't know how much work and junk it's going to take to dig all that out. But the reality is there's just no way to live <laughs> with water dripping down into your floor and then into the ceiling below it. And, you know, who knows what else is leaking out of that toilet there. Like, there's no way to live just to, to close your eyes and blind yourself to it. What do you got to do? You got to pull it up. You got to say, what's showing on the surface is evidence of what lies underneath. And the hope of the gospel is that God doesn't say, you know, fix the surface work real hard to make yourself say and do the right things. God says, you turn over to me what's underneath and I will take the junk that's underneath and I will clean it out and I will fix it and I will make it right and new. And then what lies on top will be new and right and, and good. So I cut out a bunch of junk from my floor and I replaced it with boards that are sound and whole and I sealed it up really good and I installed a new toilet and new flooring and now it looks in there frankly much better than it ever did before and it's stable and I don't have to look at it and worry about what kind of grossness is leaking into the floor and into the ceiling of my kitchen which is underneath it 
but I can look at it and it's good and it's right and it's a place of rest and not a problem. So as you ask God to reveal like what are the things on the surface of your life that you that you've just sort of been willfully ignoring God there's evidence that there's junk underneath that's rotten and gross and, and you're just trying not to address it because you think of what it might cost or how much work it might to get be to get there like I call you back to this place and say don't misunderstand God is not the God of filling your head with facts and that makes you a Christian uh, God is not uh, the God of working really hard to, to do things right on the surface. The, the promise of Jesus Christ is that God is the one who's, who picks things up. He digs underneath. He cleans out the junk. He puts his new spirit in us. And then he causes to grow up out of that spirit in us life and righteousness and truth. And so uh, my challenge to you this week is to pull up the toilet <laughs> of your life to say, God, by your spirit, would you show me all the junk that's flowing out of a wellspring that's contaminated by worldliness, by pride, by self, all of this junk. God, would you show me that? And then would you, would you, would you take out the junk that's there and would you put your spirit in me in more abundant measure? And would you cause your life to flow up out of me in all over the place, right? And so that what comes out on the surface, what comes out of my mouth, what comes out in the way that I spend my time and my money, that they're reflections of a heart that is transformed by you and that, that shares in your life, the life of your spirit. And so ask God to do that work. You can't do it is the, is the great news, um, but God promises that he'll do it. So ask him to give you a new soft and righteous heart and to know him and to love him and you will be amazed at the kind of fruit that bears in your life right let's look at that one more time no good tree bears bad fruit nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit for each tree is known by its own fruit figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and an evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. When, when you look at your life, it's going to show you what's in your heart. And the scariest thing is this. The scariest thing is that Jesus would look at us someday, I think, and that he would say that you honor him with your lips, that I honor him with my lips, but that our heart would be far from him because it's empty it's in vain it's worthless when we when we teach as doctrines the commandments of men when we make our faith really about memorizing facts and regurgitating them instead of actually coming to the lord with love and desire and pursuing him so god bless you this week uh, my prayer is that you'll let his spirit come in clean up the well and bring life and fullness out of you uh, through that. We'll see you again here soon.